It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. podcast i also have a conversation coming up a little later in the show with mark bullock who covers the washington commanders and uh, we talk about how the game on the schedule against the commanders is one that both teams think that they're going to win and uh, i'm very interested to get mark's opinions on carson wentz how he fits in uh, whether washington is a low-key team that could actually improve and uh, he's I think one of the best football analysts covering an individual team. He's got a Substack, but he's written for the athletic. He's written for the Washington post. So he's very good and he's from England. So you'll enjoy his accent. That's coming up in a little bit here, but so many of you have sent fans only questions that I want to continue to answer those and uh, not just include the interview because there's a lot of great stuff to still get to also had another idea as well for an episode or two or three this week, depending on how many responses I get on Twitter, which is uh, predictions and projections week. So over at the website, purpleinsider.com, I'm writing about different predictions for Vikings players for the Vikings season and starting with Mike Clay of ESPN who predicts every single player. Um, So later in the week, I'm going to talk with Mike and have him on the show and we'll go through all the predictions for Justin Jefferson, Kirk cousins and all that. That'll be a fun conversation, but also I put it out there and asked Vikings fans, Hey, send me your predictions for this season. And so that will be another episode as well. Probably the next episode you hear will be uh, fan projections and me running through them. And some of them are funny. Some of them I think are extremely optimistic. Some of them are extremely not optimistic and we're going to find kind of where we think the right spot to be. So uh, anybody who responded to that, Thank you very much on Twitter, but also if you still want to get in, I'll do as many episodes as predictions I get. And then, you know, usually I feel like an episode that goes more than 45 minutes is maybe a little much for everybody on their commute or something. So as many as I can get in about that time span, I'll just keep doing them because it's June and this is the month where everybody makes their rankings and predictions and all those sorts of things. So if you haven't tweeted at me, go to my Twitter page find that tweet. It's probably a couple down beyond just some dumb jokes, respond to that, or just go to purpleinsider.com and send me an email through the contact us uh, area there and just send me a prediction, whatever you think I'll put it in the list and we'll run through it. So that's going to be throughout this week happening also because I feel bad asking people to come on the show in June. (laughs) Everybody's going on vacation. Uh, Paul is on vacation. There's, you know, Courtney is uh, doing her thing at ESPN, Courtney Cronin. So she'll be back, you know, in a few weeks to start kind of that countdown to training camp. Uh, Jeremiah Searles will connect with him at some point, but I really have enjoyed answering all these questions from you. So there's going to be some more episodes like this mixed in as we go throughout the summer. So let's get to it. First email comes from Sarah. She's, oh, wait a minute. What am I doing? I got to open the diet Dr. Pepper. I apologize. There we go. Almost forgot. Okay. Sarah, email. Thanks for the great podcast. I thoroughly enjoy listening to it on my uh, on my way to work at 5 o'clock in the morning. I've been there, Sarah. When I worked in Buffalo, uh, I worked the morning show as a producer. And uh, that 5 a.m. I mean, that's a huge compliment to me. Because when you listen to someone at 5 o'clock in the morning you better be able to stand that person (laughs) because if someone annoys you at five o'clock in the morning, you want to drive off the road. So that is the biggest compliment you can give, but that's not your question. Um, Sarah says, I feel like this year is unknown with how 
we, the Vikings, are going to play. Uh, I'm so used to Mike Zimmer's era, but kind of clueless with Kevin's play style, uh, you and you and me both. Uh, don't know how much, uh, or I don't know much about him. Two questions. How do you think we'll look as a team this year? And side question, what made you a Vikings fan? For me, growing up with a father who's been a Vikings fan all his life, it was the year that we drafted Randy Moss. So let me start with the second part of that. Um, because I know that there are listen like I just tend to assume that everybody who listens to the show kind of knows how I got here and end up with the show and inside the locker room and all those things. I just kind of figure that, you know, and I don't talk about it a whole lot. So if you don't know, um, I grew up in Buffalo and got a journalism degree there and got an internship at a radio station worked my way up to the Buffalo Bills flagship station. So it'd be the equivalent of a K fan here only in Buffalo and then uh, worked Buffalo Bills pre and post game show, produced the morning show, worked as a reporter covering hockey and wrote features about the NFL and things like that. And then in 2016, I got hired out here in Minnesota because I wanted to go to a bigger market and honestly wanted to make more money than I was making in Buffalo because The way radio works is if you're one of the hosts, you do well for yourself. If you're anybody else, it's a struggle. So if you're a producer, if you're, uh, you know, maybe, yeah, I mean, that's kind of it, right? But like producer is really the main other role or update sports update anchor. Like there's a few other roles that it's very hard to get paid a whole lot. And this is a big market. Like this is a market that hosts the Super Bowl and the final four and, has all the major sports and the WNBA, uh, which is really cool to have here. So I thought Minnesota is a very attractive market. And when I got the job, I, I immediately said yes. And then moved out here in 2016 and worked for 1500 ESPN as the Vikings reporter initially. And then a host after that of purple daily. So if you guys have discovered purple daily with, with Judd, Uh, That was my show on 1500. And then when COVID hit, then uh, the station decided to take everybody off the air and keep three people and everybody else lost their job, including me. So when I lost my job, I decided that I wanted to continue covering the Vikings, but I wasn't really sure, like, is this, is this something I want to do? Or do I want to look for another job? And Jeff Anderson, who works for the Vikings, who is their one of their top PR guys and just does a tremendous job for the Vikings, he called me and said, hey, look, uh, if you want to keep your credential, I mean, if you start covering the team, like we'll do that for you. You know, if you start your own website, you start your own podcast, whatever you want to do, we will keep you around because we know who you are. You worked for the radio station, like you're a legitimate journalist, that kind of thing. So every once in a while, I'll see somebody who doesn't know me very well on on Twitter will say something like, oh, why does this guy get to cover the team inside the building with the website and not me with purpledinosaur.web or whatever? And it's like, well, because, you know, I had all that experience before as a journalist and because I'm not a Vikings fan, because I am an objective observer who is there to cover the team. And I think that that's the approach that people like about the show is that it's all objective. It's not, I like this player more than that player, this team more than that team. It's all just, here's what I think. I'm here. I'm watching everything. I'm talking to everybody. I see all the practices, uh, at least, you know, through training camp, they shut it down after that with practices, but talk with the players, press conferences, every, every game going on the road and all those sorts of things. And then here's what I think. Uh, and that's kind of how you do it as a journalist, as opposed to, Hey, you know, hopefully we win this year, which is a little bit more of the tone of, you know, fan podcasts and things like that. Or hopefully this, you know, seventh round pick becomes a star. That's not really what you're going to get for me because I'm not like, you know, I don't have a fan backstory. My backstory is I moved here to cover the team and that's what I'm still doing. Um, so I, I hope that that kind of answers the question there, but I will say as far as the state of Minnesota, uh, and Vikings fans have just been absolutely incredible to me and to my wife 
and we bought a house here. We didn't want to move anywhere. When I lost my job at the radio station, I wanted to continue to do this job because it's the only job that I ever wanted uh, was doing this, covering an NFL team. Like that's what I want to do. So um, here we are together on this show now. So I really appreciate that, Sarah. Now I didn't even answer your question because I broke one of my own rules, which is to talk too much about me on the show. Cause you guys are here for the Vikings. So let me move away from that. It's a great question to ask how, how we think they'll play this year. What is their style going to be? And we've picked up a lot of hints, but we won't really know till they get on the field. But the hints are this, that I think they're going to pass the football more on early downs. I think we can lock that in that you're not going to see this obsession with, we need to establish the run, establish the run like that is kind of going to go away on the defensive side. I think they're going to play a lot more deep safeties, which means they're not going to have as many players up toward the line of scrimmage. um, And they are going to, have a little more maybe deception on the defensive side. We're not going to see Anthony Barr and Eric Hendricks like we did for every single play uh, back with the Zimmer era. Now, I think we'll see three safeties. We'll see Jordan Hicks a little less than we would have seen Anthony Barr. Eric Hendricks will still be out there. There's going to be some differences there. I also think that Mike Zimmer did a great job of dialing up blitzes and things like that, uh, but there will be a lot of that. You're going to see Anthony or um, Daniil Hunter standing up which you have not seen in in a really long time as a stand-up rusher. It's a lot of kind of nuanced type of stuff on the defensive side that maybe on a play, unless you go back and really look closely at the tape, might be a little hard to pick up on. But on, I think on the bigger, broader picture, the question is, are you going to be more aggressive as an offensive team? And that also means in the way that you manage the game. This is going to be the big test for Kevin O'Connell because... Every one of us sits at home and says, go for it on fourth down. And there's a couple of coaches like John Harbaugh and Brandon Staley who have said, you know what? That's a good idea. And our numbers guys tell us that's a good idea. So we're doing it. But you know, who's not one of those guys is Sean McVay. Ironically, Sean McVay is a tremendous, tremendous a plus offensive coach. He is not a genius when it comes to managing the game in compared to some other coaches That doesn't mean Kevin O'Connell has to be the same way and they hired someone to help them manage the game. But when you're actually in it and you have those consequences, it can be a little harder to say, you know what? Fourth and seven at our own 45, we're going for it because that's what the numbers say. That's a little bit harder. Um, Mike Zimmer had a penchant to kick a 25 yard field goal. I don't ever think that was a good idea to kick those short field goals and just quote, take the points. You know, Mike Zimmer was extremely inconsistent with these things where week to week, one week he would want Kirk to stop throwing picks. The next week he would want Kirk to air it out. One week he's punting on fourth down. The next week he's going for it. Like you could never really get a grasp. And it was frustrating. I think for a lot of fans, because sometimes you'd be going, what do you come on, man? What year is it? And then other times you'd go, Oh, all right. Now we're going for it all the time. That's weird. Uh, So with O'Connell, maybe we're going to get a little more consistency, but we won't really know that until it happens. And the other thing is too, that I'll add to this is, are they going to switch to being a quick passing offense or are they really going to air it out? So they've done both in recent years. Last year, the first half of the season, Kirk Cousins had one of the shortest average depth of passes, meaning how far he throws the ball down the field in the entire NFL. So he was throwing a lot of short passes at the beginning of last year. And Zimmer then said, no, dude, you gotta, you gotta air it out. And if you remember John D Filippo in 2018, the offensive coordinator wanted Kirk to get, get those quick passes. So he wouldn't get as much pressure. And then Gary Kubiak wanted him to throw deep down the field. So I don't know where they're going to stand. Maybe it's somewhere in the middle with those things. But one area Kirk Cousins is really good at is play action and throwing intermediate passes off of those play actions. So passes 10 to 15 yards down the field. Justin Jefferson gets open. But if they're going to do Cooper Cup stuff, which is, you know, kind of the Rams offense, Cooper Cup caught a lot of short passes. So are they going to do that with Justin Jefferson? I mean, there's a lot of great questions there, how they're going to play, what their style is going to be. 
is I think really top of everybody's mind, Sarah, because you're exactly right that we, my entire career here in Minnesota was Mike Zimmer. So now I'm getting used to a head coach who gives longer answers, which can be sometimes more insightful, sometimes less because Mike Zimmer could really cut through everything with, you know, two or three words sometimes. But, um, I think that that is absolutely the biggest storyline of this year is what is their playing style going to be, uh, under Kevin O'Connell. So, uh, those are kind of, you know, some of the hints that I think they're going to throw more short passes. I think they're going to be more aggressive on fourth down, but we're going to have to wait and see to know whether I'm right about that or not. So once again, appreciate you listening on your morning commutes, uh, and hope that uh, answers your question. And also the number of fans who are similar to you that I've run into that said, the reason I'm a Vikings fan is, you know, Randy Moss was drafted to this team is amazing. Like there will never be, um, there will never be a player as influential uh, as him, as far as making people lifelong fans. Okay. Let's see here. Uh, this comes from Andrew via the email. I'm 29 years old. And as far as I can remember, the Vikings have had an exciting defensive line. Daniel Hunter, Everson Griffin, Linval Joseph, Brian Robinson, Jared Allen, Williams wall, John Randall. And I obviously don't see them, uh, didn't see them, but the legendary purple people eaters, right? Of course. Is it just the nature of the position or has Minnesota been lucky? No, I think Minnesota has been lucky. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of teams that have great histories. I mean, you know, the, even if you look at somebody like the Rams, you can find, you can go back every decade and find great Rams. You can go to, uh, you know, Kevin green back in the day was really good for them. Or you go all the way back. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys have had a lot of great pass rushers and had those great defensive lines, the Pittsburgh Steelers. But I don't think there are too many franchises that could go toe to toe with the Minnesota Vikings historically because you start with Alan Page once won defensive MVP. How many defensive MVPs are there since I think the last one happened in 1986? So that tells you how special that was for Alan Page. I mean, think about that. He and Carl Eller are in the pantheon of great defensive players in the history of this universe. And Jim Marshall is underrated as well and should be in the Hall of Fame. But you have every era, especially though the the 90s with John Randall, and they had underrated guys too. I mean, Henry Thomas was a great defensive lineman as well. Chris Dolman, of course, is one of the best pass rushers of all time. No, I think that this has been a very lucky place. And then under Mike Zimmer, think about this. You draft Everson Griffin in the fourth round, Daniil Hunter in the third round, you pick up Linval Joseph as a free agent from the Giants, and for several years, he's one of the best players at his position in the NFL when he was fine with the Giants, but he was great as a Minnesota Viking. I think it's really a special situation. I do think though, that there are more great defensive linemen sort of per capita today than there ever has been where you'll look at teams and go, man, they have three, four different guys on their defensive line who can rush the passer uh, and things like that. So I, I think that they have been very, very lucky um, throughout history. I mean, to land someone like John Randall, who was what not drafted and undersized and he turns out to be one of the best defensive linemen ever. I mean, they, they have really had a lot of these fall in their lap and uh, the Williams wall. I mean, Pat Williams, Kevin Williams, another pair of guys who are just incredible players and Kevin Williams by his resume has a case for the hall of fame too, with six all pros, which you don't find too many players that have six all pros. Yeah, that's, they would be very difficult to match. Maybe the Pittsburgh Steelers, if you just went one for one all time. And interestingly, wide receiver is the same way, right? Randy Moss, Chris Carter. Now you have Jefferson, Stefan Diggs. I mean, the 49ers with Terrell Owens and Jerry Rice and Pittsburgh with their team going back, you know, a ways with them to uh, John Taylor. Uh, no, I'm sorry. The John Taylor's the 49ers. I mean, John Stallworth. Um, you know, I mean, they just like, wow, have incredible receivers, but there are very few teams that you could match up one for one with the Vikings at wide receiver or defensive line with their history, which is really amazing. Um, and the wide receiver part of it and the defensive line part of it make you go, if there was just that one quarterback 
if it was just that Peyton Manning or something, uh, but they've been left out of that party and they've been blessed with defensive linemen and wide receivers. So I no, I think that you're right that um, not just for your lifetime, but through history, they'd be in the top three or five for defensive lines, if not number one. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, this comes from C. Landstrom on Twitter. Matthew, you're a great partner for the Daily Commute. Wonderful to hear another commuter listening in the car. Uh, thought of this while driving home yesterday. What would be the all-time worst lineup of Vikings who have at least five starts? My immediate answer at cornerback was not Bashad Breeland, but he's likely on the other side with Willie Teal, number 37. Okay, this one, this one is tough. Because a lot of players come and go. Uh, so if you're going to take me back, I'd have to do a lot of research to go back to the 80s and try to figure out which linebackers were horrendous or which guards. I can only give you the lineup of players that I've covered since 2016. So let me try to do it that way. Of the guys, and uh, if any of them are listening to the podcast, I'm sorry, but it was a rough ride. So if we went, if we went lineup, let's see now quarterback is tough because from what I've covered, they've all been pretty good. Like Teddy Bridgewater, Case Keenum and Case Keenum won, you know, thir- or led them to a 13 win season. I can't say Case is the worst quarterback. Like he was good that year. Sam Bradford was pretty good. Uh, Kirk Cousins is pretty good. Um, it's probably Sean Mannion, right? Sorry, Sean Mannion, but that's got to be the guy for anybody. He didn't have five starts though. So it doesn't really meet your criteria, but they have actually for a team that lost Teddy Bridgewater since then. Well, I guess they lost Bradford for a whole season as well, but during the Kirk era, he's been unbelievably healthy. And the only thing that took him out was the one game for COVID, but everything else he's been healthy. So there hasn't been backup situations, but we'll still go Mannion at quarterback. Wide receiver has to be for somebody who actually, you know, versus how much they played. It has to be Laquan Treadwell because he just never got it. He never figured out how to run routes, how to create separation, or just even take the coaching that Mike Zimmer and the receivers coaches were trying to help him with. And you can't blame the coaches because the other receivers were pretty darn good. But I'll give you the, the, the underrated one. And I don't know if this guy played five games. I think he maybe only played one or two. He definitely wasn't a starter. But Tajay Sharp is a Viking. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Tajay Sharp was signed and then targeted two times. And both passes were bombs in very important situations that fell incomplete. There was one in opening week in 2020 against the Packers on a fourth down where Cousins targeted Tajay Sharp instead of Adam Thielen. And then there was another one in Tampa Bay that they went for broke with Tajay Sharp. And he had no catches and I believe two targets, and they were both an average throw of like 45 yards in the air. So there was there was a lot of those that were kind of disasters. Um, you might say Chad Beebe here with tons of respect for Chad Beebe and the fact that he's made the NFL. But as somebody who was on the team for a while and played a lot, 
but there wasn't a whole lot to speak of. The offensive line is maybe the easiest to come up with names, but the hardest to decide which guy would be worse than the other. TJ Clemmings had the roughest ride of any player I've seen here. TJ Clemmings week after week after week just got absolutely punished and the team had no other options. They were out there trying to sign Jake Long. They were Alex Boone, I remember, was campaigning to move to left tackle because it was going so badly. He had a really, 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 really tough time. Um, let's see. Well, uh, gosh, I mean, Drew Samia was another one. I don't know if he got to five starts. Drew Samia was one where when he was drafted, everyone, the offensive line nerds, everybody was like, yo, yeah, oh, yeah, now that's a great pick. And then, and, and look, the guy certainly met the criteria when it came to uh, a physical ability and how he looked. But once he got in the game, he just had no idea where to go or what to do. And it was over instantly. And I believe he's out of the league. It was just, it was like, this guy is so far in over his head. He cannot play. It's over. We're done here. Um, Pat Elfline was a good player in 2016. No, 2017. But then after his injury, that was where I felt bad for him. I, I don't know if he's improved since he left the Vikings and gotten back to maybe full health. But once he had that injury, that was a tough watch. Like we've talked about how Garrett Bradbury has struggled. I think Pat Elfline was worse when uh, he got that injury at the NFC championship game. So I would definitely put him up there. Right guard. Yeah. Right guard is Samia left guard. I mean, do I want to say Tom Compton? I don't even think it was that bad with Tom Compton. There was one game where he played Aaron Donald and got mauled. And that was the one where you went yikes. Uh, cornerback is Chris Jones. And I think many of you will remember him for not trying to tackle Tony Pollard. Chris Jones is up there for that reason. Um, defensive line, Jaleel Johnson, another guy who they just, they drafted and they played and they played and they played and it was just never there. Jalen Holmes is another one. Will any of you guys remember the Jalen Holmes era? Like, he got a lot of playing time for somebody that got no pressures. I don't remember a single splash play from Jalen Holmes the entire time he was here. Um, Troy Dye is kind of approaching this at linebacker where he's been in some games and you're just not really happy if he's out there. Um, I don't know that there's a, that there's been safeties that have struggled all that much. So those are kind of some of the guys that come to mind. And I always end up feeling bad for those guys when you are in so far over your head that you're just getting whipped on every play, especially the offensive linemen and defensive linemen, where if you remember when New Orleans put up those 52 points, there were a lot of the backup players and they're just getting demolished by one of the best offensive lines in the league. That's really tough. But I mean, it's a ruthless question. C Landstrom. That's a ruthless question. Uh, Breland definitely does go up there for me because they just targeted him over and over and over and over. Like Patrick Peterson was talking about how he didn't get targets his way. And uh, I think what he's really talking about is everyone threw at Bashad Breland all the time. Uh, let me get in maybe one or two more here before we get to my interview with Mark Bullock. Okay. Uh, fans only question from Dustin five, five, two, two. What do you think the overall effect is going to be on the Packers after losing many top players, especially Adam Smith and MVS? And do you think the Vikings have a good chance of winning the division because of what has happened to the Packers this offseason? Thanks. I'll hang up and listen. The Devonte Adams part is a big deal. Now, last year they won 13 games without Zadarius Smith. So I would not say that's all that much of a concern for them. And if you look at their defense, they also didn't have Jair Alexander last year. And now he's back. He's one of the best corners in the NFL. So that kind of evens out a little bit on the defensive side. There's a lot of talent there, but not having Devonte Adams is a big deal. So they draft a receiver in Christian Watson, and they're hoping that the guy can come in right away and make an impact. But I mean, do we really trust Aaron Rodgers to bring a rookie wide receiver along? I would say no. And so now we got to look at, I mean, I have to pull up their depth chart to see who the other receivers are other than Alan Lazard, because I mean, you've got Amari Rogers who didn't do a whole lot last year, 
Someone named Romeo Dubes, D-O-U-B-S, who I don't know much about. Sammy Watkins, who has been completely inconsistent. Is, is Dubes a rookie? He must be, right? Uh, okay, yeah, he's a fourth-round pick this year, of course. Of course, why didn't I memorize my fourth-round draft picks of the Packers? Uh, but yeah, so fourth-round draft pick out of Nevada. Someone named Malik Taylor. I mean, this is just, uh, Randall Cobb is back. How old is Randall Cobb? I, that That is a big thing. They do get Robert Tunyon back. He was not with them last year. And uh, I think the offensive line is really excellent if and only if David Bakhtieri can come back. And Aaron Rodgers said something like, if Bakhtieri returns the other day in an interview, that is a big concern for them because Bakhtieri is an elite player when he's playing. But, you know, he had that ACL thing that's kept him out for a very long time. Elgton Jenkins is also coming off an injury. Josh Myers is also coming off an injury. But if their offensive line is healthy, they will still have a great offense. Aaron Rodgers is their quarterback. I think I saw a stat that they won every game Devontae Adams missed. So it's not like Aaron was just going to be like totally baffled, not know what to do. But there's not much there. Alan Lazard, Christian Watson, Sammy Watkins, Robert Tunyon is got to be a bottom seven, if not worse, group of weapons. And Rodgers has been selling the whole Lazard is underrated thing. I mean, I could be, but yeah, I, I'm I'm not very trusting of, of what they have as far as the weapons go, but they do have an excellent running game. They do have an excellent offensive line, and their defensive line can be flat-out terrific. Rashawn Gary is one of the best pass rushers in the league. Preston Smith is good. Dean Lowry and Kenny Clark are great. Their secondary is very good. I mean, this is, can you win the division? Yes. Is that possible? Yes. When I look at the Packers team, though, the only weakness I see is that they lost Devontae Adams out of the entire roster. So I don't, and and, and they have the back-to-back MVP quarterback. I mean, I, I don't think you're winning the division, but it is certainly possible. I it's just hard to buy that one player leaving because guys get hurt in the NFL all the time would have this effect to make them collapse. So if the Vikings could get to 11 wins, yeah, because I don't think that Green Bay's winning 13 again. If it's 11, then you've got a shot, but they've got to get to 11. Um, I think that you want to hear me say that the Packers are a disaster, and um, I don't think that's quite the case yet, but I guess we'll we'll watch their health to wait and find out. All right. One more question. Cause we're, we're rolling here and I spent too much time telling you where I came from at the beginning. So, uh, this from, uh, average Vikings fan, AVG Vikings fan, should Vikings fans continue to pass on their fandom to their children? <laughs> or, or end the generational pain and suffering. I became a fan because of my dad. And uh, he became a fan because of my grandpa. I feel like most fans become groomed in this way. Um, Personally, I don't want my kids to go through what I have every fall. Um, (laughs) Okay, well, let let, let me say this. Let me say this. So uh, when when I was about, I want to say, 13 or 14, I decided I just didn't really want to root for the Buffalo bills, which is funny because the way it turned out was I became a journalist that covers the league objectively. And when I was about that age growing up in Buffalo, I just decided I didn't want to cheer for them. Like I didn't pick another team. I was just going to watch the NFL and play Madden and whoever I was playing Madden with that year was kind of my team. And I went year by year. So one year I played with the Tommy Maddox Pittsburgh Steelers because I had watched Tommy Maddox in the XFL. And that was my team that year. I was not going to root for Drew Bledsoe as a Buffalo Bill. And they let Antoine Winfield go, which you guys know how ridiculous that is that they let Antoine Winfield go. I mean, you know, look. So, um, you know, I decided I was just kind of done. They had the Music City Miracle. It just really wasn't, you know, didn't like the whole thing at that point. And my dad carried on and still loves the bills today. And it took 20 years, but he finally got a quarterback in Josh Allen and his team is finally deep in the playoffs every year. And this year they're a potential super bowl team. And 
had I remained a Bills fan and kept that bond. Now, I still talk a lot of football with my dad, okay? So it's not like I cut my dad out of my life because he was rooting for J.P. Lossman, but... (laughs) But, but those were some tough times. I mean, he would try to talk him in, himself into it and it would never work. And, uh, you know, oh, you know, I really like this Kelly Holcomb or whatever. It would just, it was tough, but we, you know, eventually would have gotten there had I stayed with that and we had watched it all and gone through it all together. We would have eventually got to a point where we were cheering together the Buffalo bills of now, which are a really great team. A lot can change. I mean, if you were a Vikings fan, for example, in, say, the 80s, you grew up in the 80s watching with your dad, you got to 98. Now, I know it ends up in heartbreak, but imagine watching that season, and it doesn't have to be your dad, but your, you know, your family, that kind of thing, that if it's a generational thing and you're all huge Vikings fans, like, imagine how great that would have been to have seen Randy Moss come on the scene all together and enjoy that together. So... I think that's what it's really about. Uh, it's kind of, <laughs> it's like a meme a little bit. It's the friends we made along the way, but that kind of is what it is. It's like, it's not being a fan of a team is not necessarily about just a championship. That's what, that's how I look at it as a journalist. So I, I sit there and think of every move and everything they do, every player they sign, every play they call as in, you have to win. It's about a championship. But when you're talking about being a fan of a team as part of a family, I mean, do you want to be the guy who's like, no, go Chargers or something like, come on, you know, like guys, stop watching that Vikings game. The Patriots are on like, do you want to be that guy? Like, probably not. Uh, And I think that over a long period of time, every NFL franchise kind of gets their day. And the Vikings has come and they haven't finished the job, but it will come again. And so you go through it all with your family. It's part of the thing that bonds you together. And when you get to that time where your team is great every year and you can win a championship every year, which eventually will come, uh, it's pretty great for you. And it's pretty great for your family and your friends to all enjoy that together and to remember all those things that happen and talk about all those things happen and go to the games and, you know, get excited about preseason games, all those things. When you get there, uh, I, I think that's more of what it's about. Um, if you told your child, you can't be a Vikings fan because Gary Anderson missed in 98, like even a five-year-old is not going to understand that, <laughs> you know, like imagine trying to explain that to a child. No, you can't root for daddy's team. They'll miss a field goal on you and ruin your life. <laughs> uh, so that, I guess that's what I would say is that, it's much more about the bonds that you make in watching your team than it necessarily is about the championship. But this franchise has had it as tough as any franchise has ever had it in all of sports to be that close so many times. And I'm sure that it has blackened your soul, but you know, maybe your kid will grow up with things better than, than you. So Okay, well, that's it for now for the fans-only portion of this. And this episode, I know I said earlier, they're not going to be crazy long. So this episode will be a little longer because um, Mark Bullock from uh, his website there covering Washington is coming up next on the show. But I've just really enjoyed a lot of these fan um, questions, and we're going to continue doing them. Projections and predictions week also with a lot of different fan predictions for the 2022 season that I'll be breaking down, possibly making fun of, uh, and you know, things like that. So we'll have, we'll have a really fun time this week. Uh, so I will talk to you all later. Here's my conversation with Mark Bullock. Mark Bullock, one of my favorite people, former Washington post, former athletic writer now does his own thing. Just like me on Substack. Mark Bullock at dot substack.com. So as the schedule comes out, I'm sure you do this. I do this. We go through and put the little W's and L's and write about what we think the team's going to do for their record, because that's the only thing to do when the schedule comes out. And I said to you on Twitter and asking you to come on, what I love about this game is Washington fans are writing a W next to the Vikings game and Vikings fans are writing a W next to the Washington game. So uh, intensely tell me, I mean, I want you to pretend this game is upon us who you think will win that football game and why. 
yeah, I, I mean, intense, Mark. Intense, intense right? So, Football. I mean, I could argue for either way because um, that that game conveniently comes between um, when Carson Wentz. I think the Colts game, when Carson Wentz is playing the Colts again, is the week before the Vikings game, and then the week after is when they play the Eagles. Mm, the double revenge the, game. Yeah. So it's it's in between those two revenge games. So it it is kind of hard to say exactly how it's going to go because. If if he's on a high from beating the Colts, they they could maintain that and keep it against the Vikings and then against the Eagles. Um, but if you know that that revenge game does not go well, then suddenly they're in a lull uh, and it could stretch on for a couple of weeks. So it, it, it's hard to say. Um, I, I think you could make an argument either way. Um, and as you say, it, it's the kind of game where both teams are kind of decent but not great and and not horrible um, and. and it's one of those games where every fan base is, is looking at that team going, our, our team could be them. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll write that down as a W. And, and, you know, they might be right. They're right 50% of the time because the, the, all the teams are are in that kind of category are, are all kind of mix and match of, of decent. So uh, I, I did probably put it down as a win, but um, you could just as easily convince me that they'd lose that game. I'm only going to give you like a three out of 10 for intense. Mark. Uh, you just, you're not ramped up for football here. No. Uh, so this, the thing about Washington is that they're being very much forgotten in any NFC conversation. However, when you look at the whole roster, you go, Oh, Oh, they got that guy. That's right. They got that guy. And uh, Curtis Samuel was someone where I thought last year, wow, he's going to add a lot to that offense. And then Fitzpatrick gets hurt right away. Samuel is hurt most of the year. Taylor Heineke is just given it the old college try, but it's Taylor Heineke yep. and still Washington comes away with seven wins, despite the Taylor Heineke ness and with Carson Wentz as disappointing as Carson Wentz has been in the subsequent years after he was very, very good in 2017, he was at his best with a team that had a very good offensive line in Philadelphia and lots of weapons to work with. And last year, even though he was a complete roller coaster in Indianapolis, I think if he wins that one game that he was supposed to win against Jacksonville and goes to the playoffs, he's probably still an Indianapolis Colt. It's like they really just couldn't forgive him for playing that badly and losing that game. And then, you know, of course, it always comes out that he's hard to deal with and everything else. Mm-hmm. Any any player who disappoints and doesn't meet expectations also goes along with that. Not that I don't believe it. I'm just saying that that narrative always gets written about um, quarterbacks when they let you down and not when they're succeeding, that they're hard to deal with. Yeah. But um, yeah, it, the, the supporting cast has to be, what would you put it? Top three in the NFC top five in the NFC. Yeah, it's certainly up there. And, and I think the thing that they've done this year is they've, they've really expanded the different personnel groups that they can do. Um, and, and the way that Scott Turner runs his offense is he, he likes to run the same few plays over and over again to make it an easy read for the quarterback, but he likes to dress up those plays by using a bunch of different motions and a bunch of different formations and, and being able to switch personnel groups and, and bring in two tight ends or three tight ends or two running backs or three running backs or, or maybe even a four wide receiver set. Um, being able to flip through all those different personnel groups is is only going to play into that more and, and allow them to show a lot more different looks and, and give the defense a lot more to think about. And, and then again, that makes it very easy for the quarterback because that's disguising the same handful of concepts. And, and so they only have to learn so many reads and, and master a certain amount of plays. Um, and so what they've done this year where, where they have, obviously Terry McLaurin's a stud um, and, and hopefully the rest of the league knows that now, but um Certainly, with hopefully Carson Wentz plays to a decent level, was able to push the ball down the field more than, you know, the thirty yards that Taylor Heineke could manage, and um, that will let Terry McLaurin show the league that he is one of the top receivers in the league. Um, and you have behind him, as you say, Curtis Samuel coming off his injury. Hopefully, he's able to get back to what he did. They they spent a first round pick on Jahan Dotson, who they are very high on, um, and. and um, they they last year they spent a third round pick on Deami Brown who a lot of people liked and then he didn't necessarily have the best rookie year but um, he he was learning a, a lot more complex of a route tree than what he, he did in college um, so um, hopefully he takes a step forward now you've got four really solid receivers um, and they drafted they've got Logan Thomas at tight end coming back from injury 
um, and then they drafted Cole Turner, um, and and he's a promising receiving tight end, and and so they've got some depth there. They drafted another running back, so they've got depth there. So they've now got the ability to show a lot of different personnel and and, and attack defenses in a lot of different ways with with different personnel groups and different options. So um, I, I think that is going to give them a, a a lot of ability to attack the bottom end of teams' rosters. Like uh, something that they've been speculating about doing is using a four receiver personnel group, which isn't very common, but it, Deami Brown, their third round pick last year would be their fourth receiver. Um, and he was their second receiver last year. So if he's, if he's going to be their fourth receiver, then you're going to get a guy that they like matched up on someone's fourth corner. And, you know, not many teams have a decent fourth cornerback. So um, you, you're going to find a matchup that you like. So uh, I, I think they have a good set of weapons and I think, they, they should, if Wentz plays to at least a mediocre level, I think they should be able to um, cause a lot of defense's issues. So here's something that comes to mind for me with this team is they make the trade fairly early to get Carson Wentz and give up a decent amount, but not the whole franchise or anything like that. But Jimmy G and Baker Mayfield are still moseying about uh, without jobs. Is there is there regrets for Washington, do you think? Because, I mean... Jimmy G, I think, is definitely better than Carson Wentz. Baker Mayfield, maybe there's a conversation to be had there, but I think that they're both better options than he is. How do you feel about that? Uh, I, I think it's about... You could probably say that um, in terms of production over the last few years, the, the 49ers got more out of Jimmy G than the Eagles or the Colts got out of Wentz. Um, I think in terms of style of what they want to do on, on offense... Um, Scott Turner likes to push the ball down the field and he's not been able to do that because he's had Taylor Heineke and, and Alex Smith and, and about 40 other quarterbacks coming in and playing and, and none of them have been able to push the ball down the field. Um, and, and what Wentz gives them that uh, Jimmy G wouldn't be able to is, is the arm strength um, to drive the ball down the field and, and, and take those shots. And, and it was very frustrating watching Washington last year because and probably a certain group of Kirk Cousins, I won't say fans, but Vikings fans that uh, know about Kirk Cousins would probably relate to this is that they'll see a receiver on film running open deep and being available and the quarterback having time and not being able to hit him um, for whatever reason. And, and that was basically most of Terry McLaurin's year last year was even though he put up a thousand yards and had a very good season, uh, he probably could have had, um, at least another couple hundred yards on top of that if you know a, a quarterback was able to push the ball down the field to him and, and not underthrow him every time he was open deep. So um, I think that's what they attracted them to Carson Wentz is, is his ability to attack down the field. Um, and I, I think the regret would be that they, not that they traded for Wentz, but what they gave up necessarily to give him. And, and you know, like it's come out since then that, the Eagles, the, the, sorry, the Colts were saying that, oh yeah, we were going to cut him anyway. We did a great job getting what we did. And and you never really know if anyone else was in the bidding for him, but it doesn't sound like many people were rushing to get him. Um, and, and Washington kind of jumped in and, and they went from a, a low offer of something like a, the reports were something like a fourth and a sixth to suddenly giving a, a second and a third that could become another second or, or something like that, whatever it was this year. Um, and, and, um, and then they didn't do anything to negate the kind of big cap hit that he came with. Um, I think that was the mistake is I don't mind them necessarily giving up the compensation that they gave up if they managed to get the Colts to take some of that cap hit. But the fact that they gave up two high picks and took on that cap hit for a guy that nobody else was rushing out for, I think that would be the regret because they then had to make moves to give themselves some cap space to sign their draft class and, and try to find some room to then, you know, they, they're still working on a try to try to work out contracts extension with Terry McLaurin. So um, they're trying to find the cap space to do that. And and if they didn't take on the big hit from Carson Wentz, they, they'd be able to have, have added more um, and been more aggressive in free agency because they, they didn't sign hardly anyone in free agency. The guys that they did sign were all guys that played for the Panthers under Rivera at one point and, and were basically cheap guys that are going to be here for a year or two. Um, so um, they, they didn't make any kind of splashes. So be, being able to negate some of that hit from Carson Wentz and have a little bit more flexibility would have been nice. But uh, I think in terms of 
those quarterbacks that are available, I think they probably still would pick Carson Wentz over Jimmy G and, and Baker Mayfield just because his ability to drive the ball down the field. Is there mystery left with Carson Wentz? Because we talk about this and, and you referenced the Kirk Cousins. Like you and I have this shared connection of having watched a lot of Kirk Cousins in our life. And Too much, some might say. For me, there's just no more mystery left in Kirk Cousins. And that mystery was gone, I think, probably in 2019. Um, that, and look, I mean, this is what it's going to be. And 2019 was probably the best it was ever going to be with the team that they had. But, you know, we still do this thing from time to time where it's, well, you know, they brought in a new head coach and he's going to do some different things. And it's it's even funny when you talk about how, like, Scott Turner is uh, talking about using motions and things like that. It's like, yeah, you know, Kevin O'Connell is not the only one that knows about offensive <laughs> innovations in the league. It's actually a lot of people, uh, yeah. including some of the former Vikings offensive coordinators and some of the offensive coordinators like Sean McVay that Kirk worked with in the past. So to me, that's not the mystery. The mystery is how hard the schedule is. It's how Kevin O'Connell coaches a lot of different areas. It's whether the defense improves and then Kirk will be Kirk and how much you get out of it depends on those other things. But with when he seems to be a guy that whenever he comes up on a national show or something, it's like, well, you know, like, can he take that next step and do that other thing? Because he did that thing once. Um, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I think there's a degree of what you're talking about with, with Wentz of, of, you know, like, well, maybe if, if it's in this situation, but I, I think there is a little bit of truth in that, in that he went from the Eagles, which was, you know, Doug Peterson and Frank Reich to the Colts, which was Frank Reich. So he's basically been in the same offense, the same system, um, and the, the running the same stuff his whole career. Um, and it's just been a, a different group of players around him. And and some of that Eagles offense kind of fell away a little bit in his last few years there. And then the Colts last year were um, he didn't he didn't actually play bad through a lot of the season. They they kind of shifted a, menta- a mentality into being a, a run first team. Which I mean, when you have the guys like Quentin Nelson and, and Jonathan Taylor that the Colts have, you would do that. Um, and you, they they didn't have a whole lot of receivers. They had Michael Pittman, who was great, but outside of him, they didn't have a a, a great receiving group. So um, it made sense that they they went to that running game, but that then was taking that was the focus of the offense. It wasn't about Carson Wentz; it was about running the ball. Um, and, and so this offense for Washington is going to embrace his uh, his willingness to attack down the field because that's that's what the the system that Turner runs is about is about attacking down the field and and he's not been able to do that so I think he's he's going to be eager to you know really call those plays to take those shots and let Wentz drive the ball and and, and they as we talked about they, they have a, a nice set of weapons for him um, and, and you mentioned the offensive line um, that was amazing last year especially considering the injuries they had they they were down to like their fourth center who was actually their primary backup guard to start the year and he was end up playing center and and that meant that they were on their fourth and fifth guard and and they they used their second and third tackle at certain points they had so many injuries but the offensive line maintained a pretty high standard and were one of the better offensive lines in the league statistically so um i think it's a, a decent supporting cast for him um and certainly in terms of weapons it might be the deepest group of weapons that he's had in his career um and it's going to be an offense that suits what he wants to do which is drive the ball down the field so there is a little bit of well maybe it will work with us even though it hasn't worked with others recently um but um there, there is some truth that at least it's at least it's not you know they've hired frank reich and they're they're bringing him Wentz again to, to run the same thing back. At least it's a, it's a new system. It's a new, um, a completely new team and a different philosophy and a different message for him to, um, to work with. So uh, I think that is the optimistic version of that. It is a little bit of the um, arrested development meme of like, yeah. what if it works for us? <laughs> exactly. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's a hundred percent that, but um, there is enough of a difference between what Washington has and, and what he had with the Eagles and the Colts that 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 makes you think that it, it might work out. And the thing is with with the with the Colts last year, he was going to a team that had gone from Peyton Manning to Andrew Luck to Phillip Rivers. So that standard of QB play was was pretty damn high. And then he comes to Washington and it's been 
Taylor Heineke and like Kirk Cousins is the best quarterback Washington's had in the last decade. So, um, and, and they've dropped off significantly since Kirk Cousins. So the bar is very, very low in Washington. If he can, if he can throw the ball 50 yards without it dying on him and, and the receivers having to turn around and come back to the ball, uh, he's, he's going to be basically a, the new God in Washington. So um, I, I think that probably helps him as well. That's what Carson Wentz needs is a lower standard of uh, all you have to do is beat out a former St. Louis battle Hawk backup quarterback and you'll be good. Uh, be better than Mark Sanchez or Josh Johnson were as Washington exactly. quarterbacks. Exactly. It's a party. very low bar we've had in Washington for a few years. And um, I think as I say, if he can play even to like a, a top 20 or a top 15 quarterback, kind of in that middle level, if he can be the 15th best quarterback in the league, that is probably 15 or 16 spots higher than what Washington's had for the last decade. Is, is the standard pretty much just make the playoffs for Washington? I think so. Um, that that's kind of how Rivera has bigged it up this, this year. He, he's he's since he's been here, he's talked about it. it's going to be a three to five year rebuild. And, and he keeps referencing his first few years with the Panthers. They were so-and-so, but they were installing that philosophy and then they were, um, building a foundation. And then that third year was the year that they took a step forward and, and really competed for the playoffs. And, and I think the fact that the NFC East was so terrible in his first year and they made the playoffs last year or not the year gone, but Rivera's first year um, by, you know, having the best losing record. I think they were like seven and nine that year. Um, and, and the NFC East was horrific and that made them win the division. Um, I think that raised expectations last year a little bit and, and probably put them ahead of the track they should have been on. Um, but this year, Rivera's saying, keeps emphasizing that the third year is when we took the step forward with the Panthers. And, and, and this is going to be the year where we're going to get that good quarterback in and, and we're, we're going to really compete and, and challenge. So I, I, he's essentially set the bar at we're going to compete for the playoffs. And if they don't make the playoffs, then I think that's a, a failure. So I have a philosophical football question for you because I was listening to uh, Steve Palazzolo talk with Greg Rosenthal on the PFF podcast and Greg Rosenthal said that he thought that you need around 40 good players to be a real competing team good or great players and I thought that was like an interesting number that he decided to pick like that's almost an entire starting lineup um, obviously you don't get a lot of you know, depth players in the NFL in general, but it's something that's really hurt the Vikings is to not have a lot of depth. And when I looked at Washington's roster before we talked and how some guys performed last year and so forth, because I have to tell you the truth, I was not going out of my way to watch those Taylor Heineke games. <laughs> I, so I, was, I was looking at what everybody did last year, but I do read your stuff and uh, your analysis of some players, some like Sam Cosme, you wrote about their right tackle who I didn't know it played pretty well. Um, but I feel like Washington has that. I'm not sure the Vikings have that. I think Vikings have some high higher end guys than that, but I don't think they have 40 good players. That would be if I'm making a case for, Hey, Washington ends up surprising and the Vikings go into that matchup feeling like, Oh man, this is like way tougher than we thought this was going to be when we wrote out that schedule. I think it's just because of the sheer number of players they built up. And when you look at the roster top to bottom, I think it's fair to say that they should compete. It's just that the Eagles are getting a lot more attention and are probably a little better. And then Dallas won 12 games last year. So they deserve to have that, uh, that hype. But I think that people in Washington can make the, uh, the, the argument that this team in the NFC should be a fringe playoff team. As long as Carson Wentz doesn't completely annihilate all hopes of that. Yeah. I think um, from, in terms of the roster, they, they don't necessarily have the star power that they might have had in years gone by. Like they had a, a Trent Williams and they, they had Deshaun Jackson and Jordan Reed was one of the better tight ends in the league. And um, you know, they, they had some star power, but they didn't have any depth, but this year, certainly on offense. And I think that kind of speaks to that offensive line point I was talking about last year, that they went to through so many offensive linemen they, they, and, and offensive line is one of the hardest groups to have depth in the NFL. And, and usually if you lose a, a starting guard or a backup guard and a backup center that that that's a huge point for the offense to to really struggle and, and, and defenses to attack and, and washington went through that last year and and they were still able to put together a, a competent starting offensive line that they were able to still run the ball effectively and and they they were able to do some play action stuff to make things easier for them and, and they were still able to pass protect um 
with with some little help here and there and schematically but um yeah i think the depth is what what helps them that they 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 don't have the star power up top um they don't have they maybe have one or two like a plus players like Terry McLaurin and and if Chase Young performs and to his ability and and Jonathan Allen are, are probably up there but everyone else is probably more BC grades but it's it's a lot more full of BC grade players than um, a lot of teams that will go more down the will have five or six A plus players but nothing else behind them and 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 so yeah I, I think in terms of the NFC East when you look at Washington last year, that they won seven games. And as you mentioned earlier, it was with, with Taylor Heineke at quarterback and, and um, they managed to struggle their way through what was, I think either the hardest or the second hardest schedule in the league. Um, and, and they won seven games. And, and that was with Taylor Heineke who started the year as the backup behind Fitzpatrick, but Fitzpatrick played a quarter and a half of a game. Um, and, and then Heineke was the quarterback the rest of the way. Um, and, and as I say, the offensive line, they had a bunch of injuries, um, Curtis Samuel played about 10 snaps all season. Um, and, and they had some stuff like both Chase Young and Montez Sweat got injured and missed most of the season as well. So they had a lot of injuries and, and they had a COVID outbreak at one point and, and stuff like that. So when you look at all of that and you look at this year, they've now got a significant upgrade at quarterback. They've got a much easier schedule on paper. Um, I think it goes from being one of the toughest to now being like the second or third easiest schedule, at least on paper. Um, so you combine those kind of factors with, well, they still managed to win seven games last year, an easier schedule, a better quarterback, and hopefully everyone's back healthy. It's not un- unreasonable, I don't think, to think that they could win eight or nine or ten games uh, and add three, maybe four wins to that that schedule um, from last year. So, um, but yeah, that, as, you men- as you mentioned, that, that relies on Carson Wentz not being horrific <laughs> right or injured which you yeah. know he does get banged up quite a bit and then uh are you is it still heineke is he still the backup it would be heineke or they, they drafted sam howell after he oh, fell yeah. all the way to the right. fifth round um right. and, and you know there's there's always the uh the quarterback controversy but I, I i don't think that we'll see him play this year yeah we spent far too much time on the show talking about sam howell for him to go in the fifth round but <laughs> what are you gonna do um okay before i let you go mark always enjoy the the discussion um I, I have to give you a little washington football team trivia as we do oh, yeah. sometimes on the show when of we course. have uh reporters for other teams so um it, the all-time running list total rushing yards for washington uh Number one and number three are guys who played in the 60s and 70s slash 80s, John Riggins and Larry Brown. Uh, can you name number two through seven? So the top five that played after John Riggins in Washington football running back history, including one Minnesota Viking mixed in. Um, I'd imagine Clinton Portis would be up there. Number um, one. Yep. Number, number one, one. That's right. not John Riggins. Yep. After him, not to be mistaken with Tim Riggins, Friday Night Lights. Anybody? Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, I um. After Clinton Portis, I'm trying to think of standout running backs. Alfred Morris had quite a few yards, but he didn't have longevity. But not uh, you many got it. Have, yep. So no, he's Alfred there. This, this there. is why it makes it great because there's kind of like some really random names on here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, Riggins, Portis, Larry Brown was the other guy that played in the '60s and '70s. Alfred right. Morris is fifth all time. Right. Okay. Um, so who would be who'd be fourth? So you uh, mentioned a Carolina Panthers connection. There was a guy who went on to bigger stardom with Carolina, but was a great Washington footballer. I should know that one. And you I should know that. One. It, it's he, escaping he my mind. Right yeah, now. he was a star for a while. Okay, you've also got a former Viking and a guy who famously fumbled for another team. The, well, for some reason, when you think of when you say fumble, I'm thinking I can only think of Mark Sanchez, and he's not running for any yards. So, um, <laughs> no, this was not a butt fumble. This was a playoff fumble for Cleveland. Um, no, my names are escaping me right now. Ernest Biner is uh, seventh right. on the list all time. Okay. And uh, so you're, you're not getting the former Carolina Panther who was kind of a big star from 96 to 2002. Yeah. See, that was, that was just before I started following the NFL. Um, 
So Steve, that would... Stephen Davis is that guy. Oh, I do know Stephen Davis. Yes, yes, yes Davis. I do know Stephen yep. Davis, but yeah, and the name was not escaping was escaping and, me. And the other one that was a Viking briefly uh, was Terry Allen. So. Was, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, 1995, That is a random list of names. I know. That's why I love it. I was pulling it up and looking like, okay, so what can I throw at you that might be kind of funny? Like, Lindell Betts is not that far out of here. Adrian yeah. Peterson cracks, I am not kidding, the top 20 of all-time Washington <laughs> football. Like, this is a team that was known for running the ball in the 70s and 80s and winning yep. Super Bowls through, you know, largely running the football. And everything else past that is mostly hilarious, including trading Champ Bailey for Portis for Clinton Portis. Right. And the second round pick. What a franchise history. I know. Uh, it's horrific. It's absolutely I, horrific. Can I ask you how you decided to start following them or was it like uh, just a random thing? Uh, no. Uh, when I was younger, uh, when I was five, we moved out to the States as a family. My, my dad, had a job working with the the Ministry of Defense or the MOD over here, and and they were doing a joint thing with the U.S. Um, so we moved out, and we moved out um, just outside D.C. So um, I I didn't really follow Washington sports at that point. I was kind of too young, um, and I was just getting into it when we moved back just before I turned ten, um, and so I kind of fell out of American sports then. But as they came on TV and more popular over here, uh, I figured that given that I live just outside DC, I, I would kind of follow the DC sports teams and, and that led me to the, the Washington team. And here you are. Uh, well, <laughs> and what a ride it's been yeah, uh, right. that uh, people pay you to write about it. <laughs> it yeah. <laughs> that, you that wouldn't still, have guessed that when you were 10. That's um, still crazy to me. I, I don't know why. <laughs> uh, because your work is excellent. And that's why you're on the show. Mark Bullock, um, B U L L O C K. Just like the old linebacker, Keith Bullock, uh, <laughs> Mark Bullock NFL is on Twitter, markbullock.substack.com. Um, always great stuff, man. Really enjoy getting together and having some fun talking. And um, that game, that that will, I think that's one that we're underrating in Minnesota, but we'll see. So <laughs> we will talk again before that for sure. Thanks for coming on, man. Anytime, anytime.